Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. Yeah. I'm jet propelled at all times. <laughs> How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example, and this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think you know, it's bullshit. The, <laughs> I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. no. We're going to teabag fight. Yeah. <laughs> you heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five, Beavis? <laughs> now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers. Craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Welcome, everybody. It's another fine episode of The Session here on The Brewing Network, brought to you, of course, always by the fine folks at More Beer. If you want to homebrew with the best ingredients from the best people and uh, ship to you the best possible way in a box, I guess, I don't know, uh, go morebeer.com. Hit them up, get your kit, get your ingredients, get your equipment, get your advice, get everything you can from the folks at More Beer. They are here to help you. And, uh, you know, while you're at it, that homebrew that you make from, uh, from uh, More Beer, why don't you send it to Dr. Homebrew so we can judge it? Because we are looking for people. We have a few openings coming up on the next uh, few months of shows. You can email brian at thebrewingnetwork.com to get situated with that whole mess. And uh, come on, Dr. Homebrew. We won't be too mean. I think that's, that's going to be our new tagline. Dr. Homebrew, mean- we won't be too mean. Are you mean on that show? No, not at all. Are you I mean, I har- sometimes a little mean? I harass people sometimes if they send like, you know, here's if you get like four shows of hazy IPAs. I'm like, I can't. I don't like. Wait, well, hold on a second. Time out. Do you don't like hazy IPAs? <laughs> it's not that anymore. It's just it's more of like uh, there's only so much you can say on a homebrew level about it. You know, where you're like, oh, I got two in a row. I don't know what to do. So I so that's with no shows. I let Brian and Brian talk. They're the judges. I just go, oh, OK. Uh, you know, this is great. You did good. It's not contaminated, and it's to style. But it's stuff like that where, uh, you know, my favorite shows on those are ones we get like Kvike and, you know, just these weird styles that you just don't, you know, find anymore, right? It's like homebrewing. So, homebrew, my favorite part of homebrewing is drinking beers that you don't normally just get. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, on those shows like we were having, just as a, are we on the air right now? I'm just giving like pro tips right now okay. about how to handle the show. Yeah. You could just compare, you could <laughs> compare them. You could just do a side by side. Well, this one's like this, this one has more of this and just sort of like evaluate them individually. Well, the, uh, I appreciate your compared to each other. I appreciate your advice. Um, I, <laughs> I just used a, the first beer style that came to mind. It's not really a thing that's ever happened. So I was just talking. I was lying. Uh, it was a radio version of, of, of lying. You're never supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you are, you're not supposed to disclose that. It's like uh, negating your partner in improv. Okay. Just, just <laughs> All keep right. moving. Okay. I forgot Sully lived in L.A. for a while. <laughs> okay. He's an improv artist now. Yeah. And a lawyer, apparently. But go uh, ahead. Let's start the show. Come on. That's true. Today, we are joined by, or joined with, joined joined by. We're joined by Michael Bernstein from Buck Wild Brewing. Mike, what's going on, man? Thanks for hanging on the show with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So you are a brand new brewery, right? You opened within the last year. We opened, I was just telling Sean, we opened early November of 2020. So what's that, seven, eight months ago? God, not even, not even a year, not even a year old. And I'm, yeah. I'm excited to talk to you not only about opening a brewery in the middle of COVID, which is, you know, sort of becoming a theme on the show. <laughs> there's a lot of people doing that. And, you know, and that's great. You know, there's, you, you can't really uh, keep a good brewery closed. You know what I mean? But uh, your, 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 your vibe, your, your goal, your, uh, your, 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 your portfolio is Unique selling proposition. A hundred percent. Our stick. Our stick. Yeah, well, I didn't want to say <laughs> yeah, it. Um, is gluten-free. hundred percent gluten-free. Yeah. We are hundred percent gluten-free, hundred uh, percent dedicated gluten-free facility. Uh, California's first and only dedicated tap room and brewery. Yeah. That's Ca exciting. California's first 100% gluten-free brewery. That's right. No barley, no wheat, and no rye will find its way inside the doors of our facility here. Wow. That's, cra that's crazy. And, you know, we were talking a little bit when I picked up the beers, and you'd mentioned that. I'm like, well, I mean, I know we've had gluten-free beers from breweries, I think even in California, but, but to your point, you're the only one doing it 100%. Well, I mean, I don't know which breweries you've you've tried or checked out, but uh, my guess is what you've been trying are gluten reduced beers. Oh, that and could be a whole, <clears throat> There's a whole conversation we could have around the difference between gluten reduced and gluten free beers. Yeah. Very succinctly, I'll just say a, a gluten reduced beer is not a gluten free beer. A gluten reduced beer is in fact brewed with barley, wheat, or rye, uh, and an enzyme is used in the fermenter that basically takes a gluten protein, which looks like this, and it breaks it up like that, so it's more difficult to detect. But uh, it is uh, indeed still in solution there. Makes so it more difficult. We don't risk yeah. any of that. We just brew with 100% gluten-free grains. When you say more difficult to detect, to me, that sort of means that the gluten-reduced, or to me, I read that as gluten-reduced is more of a gimmick than a than a, uh, a solution. Deal. Yeah. Is that, I, I don't know if gimmick is the right word. Um, it's 
it's very difficult to detect it based on current uh, testing methodologies. Anything okay. post-fermentation, it, it's difficult to detect um, accurately uh, gluten levels. Um, you know, mm. this is me on my soapbox a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, go for it. it. <laughs> yeah, no, since you made the mistake of, of asking, I think what has happened is people have detected, um, they've identified an opportunity, uh, an opportunity within the gluten-free market. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, a growing subset of the craft beer world, and um, people are trying to enter it any way they can. And from a cost perspective, brewing a gluten-reduced beer is much more affordable than going fully 100%. Gluten-free. Okay. Interesting. So how does it, so it's like, so if we could stay in that space for a moment. So when you're saying that there's no way to detect it, so if you can't detect it, so how do you know it's there? So my, I guess I would say, is it because um, the folks who, you know, there's a large segment of the population that has, you know, is very sensitive to this with, are they affected by those beers that are labeled or beverages that are labeled as gluten reduced? Yeah, I mean, so it's a great question, Sean. The easiest way to answer it is everybody's different. Um, I certainly am impacted by gluten-reduced beers. If I drink half of one of them, uh, I feel awful for Mm. days on end. Wow. Yeah, it's just, it's not worth it for me. I mean, early on when I was gluten-free, I I attempt certain cheat days just to, you know, because I missed a, a, a solid craft beer and um, I paid the price for days. It just wasn't worth it for me. So that's wow. why you got involved in it uh, was this is a personal like adventure for you to solve, uh, you know, cause you wanted to drink beers that weren't out on the market there that you, you did yeah. it as a personal, uh, you know, to sort of personally push your agenda along and, and have a business agenda as well. Exactly. I mean, I'd love to sit here and tell you it was hundred percent altruistic, but uh, it was pretty self-serving at the time, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Did you start out as a home brewer and, and start trying to make your, um, your your gluten-free beers that way? I did, yeah. So I, I adopted a gluten-free diet back in 2006. Okay. Um, and as I educated myself around what that really meant, I came to realize I couldn't drink these craft beers that I've been loving for years. Uh, so I started home brewing in 2007. And I started, uh, I taught myself how to malt. So I'd go down to the local natural food store and I'd buy, you know, eight to 10 pounds of raw buckwheat. And, uh, you know, I'd soak it in a bucket. I'd lay it out flat. It was like a junior high science experiment. (laughs) I'd I'd let it sprout a little bit. And then I'd turn the oven on really low and I'd run up our PGE bill by, you know, letting the malt sit in there overnight for hours on end. Um, so I was malting my own buckwheat and I was homebrewing, uh, my own beers at the time. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. You must have really, I mean, I'm trying to think of something that I would do on that level of like, of, wow, I really miss, you know, video games. So I'm going to learn how to make them myself. <laughs> I could never do that. I'd be like, I just don't want to do this. I guess I'm just not going to play a video game and that's fine. Right. But like to learn the science of malting, and to just do it on your own is pretty cool, man. That's a that's a very laser focused. Like, I like beer. I don't. F- and I, let me ask you this: Was it more of a of a you missed beer, or that you wanted some sense of like you know quote unquote your old life? Or I, I imagine like a, a a dramatic shift in your diet like that would sort of you know be a little hard to uh, hard to deal with. I, I mean. 
I certainly just missed beer. Yeah. I loved beer. I mean, I grew up uh, surfing and climbing and skiing and backpacking and fishing. And, you know, one reason you enjoy all those activities is because you get to sit down with your buddies at the end of the day and crack open a cold beer. I yeah. just, you know, I was a guy attempting to suck down a, a cider or whatever it was at the time. And it, it just wasn't the same. Uh, and I, I really missed beer. And, you know, you, you give me a lot of credit for saying learning the science of malting. I mean, it was much more art than science for me at the time. It's, yeah. you know, if it, if it smelled bad, I would dump it. If it smelled good, I'd continue down the process of, okay. you know, drying it out and roasting it. And, uh, it, it was, it was really enjoyable. I, I loved, I loved doing it. What was your first? That's awesome. That's like, that's like just awesome because you're, I mean, it's like, it's what homebrewing is all about. I mean, you kind of like you're, you're a maker, you're, you're taking on, you know, uh, and uh, you're doing something that not a lot of people do and you want to do it for yourself and you sort of like split it off and you had to malt your own grain and all that. I mean, and also, I mean, the market out there for gluten-free beers was not that great. I mean, I have relatives back in Pittsburgh who have celiacs and they're begging me to make something. Um, because it's just not great. I mean, where do you find it? Who ma- who makes it? It's usually ma- mass produced, and it's not that it's not that interesting. Well, I can give a plug to uh, another gluten free brewery out in Pittsburgh, specifically by the name of Arokes. Arokes. Uh, Arokes. I don't know much about them, uh, but I've I've heard great things about the beer, so they might want to check that out. Excellent. There you go, Sean. How All was right. how was your first batch at home of gluten free beer? that you malted on your own and you carried through the whole process. How was that? You mean the first one I actually attempted to put to my lips and sip? Yeah. Uh, sure. That was probably batch four or five. Okay. Uh, wow. To be honest with you. But that first batch uh, was more than drinkable. I mean, it, it tasted like a really good beer. It had a lot of, it had a number of characteristics that actually did remind me of cider. It didn't have much body. It was pretty, pretty flat, pretty thin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good. I mean, it tasted like a, I think I was using Hellertau hops. Um, just tasted like a good lager, okay. I guess, is, is the best uh, description. Like a good light lager kind of thing where there's not much to it, but uh, you know it's gluten-free. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, How- and I didn't get sick off of it, so that was <laughs> yeah. How did you deal with the yeast aspect? Because, you know, when I was working at more beer years back, uh, you know, I, I worked on some sort of gluten-free, um, you know, program that we were trying to, you know, figure it out. And I believe it was sorghum. It was actually maybe buckwheat where you germinate it and it has that like ooze, that slime that comes through, you know, when you're soaking it. Um, and then, you know, sending that into a lab to test it. And we also sent in some, some liquid brewer's yeast and, you know, that has gluten in it. It's not right. detectable or it's, it, there's under the threshold, I think of like 20 PP. I forget when I was too, too many beers ago. Um, so what did you do for, for yeast wise? It's a great question with a simple answer. I was using dry yeast okay, because it was the dry yeast was, uh, grown on molasses, uh, which was gluten free. Okay. Yeah. But uh, to your point, um, those liquid yeasts, the starters contain uh, gluten. So those were off limits. Wow. Yes. I would never have thought about that part, actually. Yeah, neither did we. It was like, it was a weird thing. I was like, you know what? We should test. We need to test every aspect of all these ingredients because we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't know. And, and to Michael's point, like, 
you know, if, if you're very, very sensitive, you need to know. You got to yeah. put the control in your hands. And so I think that's really cool, Michael, that you went and, you know, did the whole, did the whole route. So as a home brewer, because, you know, we do have a, a fair amount of home brewers listening to the show. How do you then sort of dial in your recipe? You said your first one didn't really have a whole lot of body. It was just sort of is what it is. How do you then progress to fleshing out and rounding out this beer to make it taste more like a beer? Because that is sort of, you know, the, the big complaint in the space, I think it's like gluten-free beers generally don't taste like beer. They're just sort of watered down because you only have a couple of grains to work with. Yeah. Back in the early days, uh, that certainly was accurate. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the case. I mean, I have memories of using, uh, honey, uh, agave, certainly the, the sorghum syrups that you referenced a minute ago. Um, brown rice, syrups, all those sort of things. I mean, those are great sugars, great fermentables, but those all ferment out, you know, 98, 99%. So you are left with a very light, uh, dry beer. Um, so I, again, I did a lot of reading and I learned that, um, you know, in, in making the buckwheat malt, uh, perhaps I should make some, uh, grain that isn't malted, right? So it's not going to give out the sugars. It's just, you know, it's going to, it's going to lend more body, Okay. Um, to the, to the beer. And also I would use maltodextrin at the time that helped to, uh, you know, thicken it up and give it a little bit more, a little more body at the same time. Um, but just a lot of trial and error. I mean, I, I think back to those, uh, all those days I spent in my garage, just tinkering <laughs> with, with any recipe I could find. Yeah. Um, any ingredient I could find and, and to, you know, develop different sorts of recipes. Some worked, most didn't. Okay. But uh, trial, trial and error for sure. How many batches do you think you ran through before you before you hit on you know a recipe? You're like this is it. This is this is on my a, recipe. on my homebrew scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say probably three or four. It was that fourth or fifth batch that uh, that I was able to. That's not actually put in a glass. That's not bad, honestly, because like I have a no. I, I have like several recipes that I still don't brew the same thing all the time. I'm just not happy with it. <laughs> so well, I think that's cool. Your standards are higher on the homebrew scale than mine were at the time. See, you hear that, Sully? I have high standards. Well, I heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> Breaking <laughs> news. I mean, really when you were home brewing and probably transferring to your, your, your brewery there in Jack Lennon Square in, in Oakland, um, what did you have to have special equipment that the average home brewer wouldn't be using um, in order to make your beer? Well, uh, there were a lot of steps in between home brewing and landing here in Jack London Square. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much time we have this evening, Jason, but go for it. Just, <laughs> just take you off the leash, man. Go for it. All right. That's what we want to do. Well, was, on your story. I was born on a cold evening in August <laughs> and uh, no. So uh, I'm in California about five or six years um, and, you know, developing a, a number of different recipes and improving upon them each time. And I just brewed them for myself and for friends and family. And I got to the point where uh, I was brewing pretty consistent, uh, high quality gluten-free beers. And at the time there wasn't a really good gluten-free beer on the market. Um, I won't really name names, but I think back in 2011, 2012, there were maybe two or three yeah. on the market. Uh, so I just, and I've always kind of been this closet entrepreneur, you know, wanting to kind of venture out on my own, but just sort of lack that, that light bulb idea. Um, so I came to realize, you know, maybe gluten-free beer could be 
something I pursue. There clearly was an opportunity in the market. So I called up uh, Charlie Bamforth uh, up at UC Davis. Oh, yeah. And um, I explained to him <clears throat> what I was trying you have, to do. You have to do the English accent, too. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not a chance. He might see this. Um, and I was explaining to him what I was trying to do and what some of my challenges were. And, you know, I, this was an email, and I didn't expect to ever hear back from him. He's a busy man in high demand. Uh, he got back to me within a couple hours. Turned out he was on his way down to Belmont to give a, a talk the next day, and he wanted to meet for coffee beforehand. So for the price of a cup of coffee, I got to meet Mr. Bamforth, and um, we developed a bit of a relationship, and he invited me up to Davis. They had just received a pilot brewing um, uh, facility from Anheuser-Busch, mm -hmm. and they were uh, trying to figure out a way to – you know, put it to good use outside of just uh, teaching there. Um, so I was a bit of a guinea pig in that regard. And I went up there and I, I rented out the facility and their expertise. Um, I'd say I spent probably 18 months wow. up at Davis uh, brewing. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say I probably brewed maybe close to two dozen batches up there. <laughs> so it, it, it was it was tinkering with my process. It was tinkering with my recipe. Most critically, it was tinkering with um, a non-existent supply chain at the time. I mean, recall I was malting all of my own buckwheat and maxing out at about ten or fifteen pounds at a time. Um, my wife would have kicked me out of the house if I tried malting you know, twenty, forty, hundred pounds that I would be requiring at Davis. Um, so I was calling around to all these different malt houses, you know, asking if they could stop their, you know, production of a couple tons, you know, to run some buckwheat through their system. Sure. <laughs> Why not? For me. And yeah. I, I got the same response from most of them. It's, you know, click. <laughs> right. um, so then, you know, I, I had the thought to reach out to some of these companies who uh, sprout grains Right. So there's a lot of sprouted grain that goes into pastas and breads and things oh, like that. Okay. Yeah. So I reached out to a handful of companies and I said, look, by virtue of uh, sprouting these grains, you're essentially malting them. Um, mm. The only thing you're not doing is going the extra step to, to roast them. Mm -hmm. So I was getting sprouted green malt is kind of what we would all think of it as. And then I would engage a coffee roaster to see if they could run it through their coffee roaster to, you know, get some dark flavors and colors out of it. I was really piecing this together. And, wow. You know, every new supplier I had, I would, you know, take 50 pounds of whatever they would give me and I'd run up to UC Davis and I'd try to brew a batch um, and failed more often than I succeeded up there. Yeah. Well. Um, had a lot of issues. But, you know, after maybe batch six or seven, we really started dialing it in. And um, <laughs> so then after some time at Davis, I, I had my recipe dialed in and I decided to venture out of the safety of a uh, learning environment into more of the real world. And um, I was welcomed at uh, EJ Fair. Oh, nice. Old JJ. Yeah. Uh, he welcomed me in yeah. to brew on their 30 barrel system. And um, I went through seven batches, dumped every single one. Oh, man. I couldn't 
for the life of me, I couldn't scale from UC Davis's 40 gallon system to EJ Fair's 30 barrel system. I just, the math wasn't working out for me. I was using too much hops, not enough, you know, not enough pale malt, too much dark malt. Um, my beers were getting comparisons to uh, dirty ashtrays and things like that. So sure. a lot of beer went down the drain at uh, EJ Fair. Wow. Um, so then I thought, let's take a step back. Maybe 30 barrels is a little too ambitious. Uh, so I started looking for a 15 barrel system throughout the Bay Area. Uh, and I hooked up with uh, Drew and Jenny down at Strike Brewing in mm-hmm. uh, San Jose. Okay. Right. Really good, really good folks down there. Nice. Uh, Brewed our first batch at Strike, had the exact same issues as I had had at EJ Fair. <laughs> okay. Really at sharp, acrid flavors, and it went down the drain. So, which to me that look, to me that I think that's good because then you know it's not it wasn't EJ Fair, it was just the recipe, so it's a fixable thing. I I, I, it, I don't know. I hear I heard that and I go, well, that's good news. It was yeah. actually quite fixable. I just yeah. wasn't asking the right question of the right person. Yeah. And it turns out when you scale recipes from 40 gallons up to 30 barrels, it's not a one for one. You don't just multiply it straight. Right. Um, See, Sean's saying, yeah, obviously. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sean does that. Where were were you? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, they probably, they they probably could have helped you out in that department, I think, because I'm sure, I think they've probably done that with other contracts that they've used, but. I think because you're using these unique ingredients and probably process that it was probably just like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. So <laughs> yeah. there was probably that aspect of it. Yeah. I, I think you're right on. They're like, let's just kind of let Mike do his thing and yeah. uh, hopefully he doesn't break anything. Um, turns out I was, you know, very simply stated, I was uh, overdoing the bittering hops. Yep. Oh, okay. That's it. That's all you had to and do. that was it. That's what gave that, you all those acrid flavors. And that was probably 80% of what was going on. Wow. Yeah. So second batch at uh, Strike Brewing, we throttled back the bittering hops, and it was a solid B plus, A minus product. Oh, wow. Drinking the beer, it was unbelievable. Uh, And then we did a third batch and improved it even more. Um, And then we actually bottled that up, threw it in some uh, four-pack carriers, and got it into the market. This was in uh, early 2016. Oh, geez. Okay, wow. What was that first, that first, take me that, that tasting of the first batch that worked out because you've been at, you've been doing this, you've been spending money, you've been on the phone, running yourself into the ground, coffee roasters and sprouted grain and doing all the fun stuff, right? Trying to figure it out, putting your head through a wall, EJ fair, trying to figure out what's going on. And then you finally, you finally achieve, like you said, B plus a minus beer. It's gotta be a feeling there. Yeah. I mean, after the, you know, the, the tears were wiped from my face, the tears of joy. Yeah. It was kind of a feeling of, God, that was easy. Right. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. Once you get rid of the problems, it's easy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was thrilled. I mean, it, it you know, it, it had been quite a long road and you hit on, you know, but only a few of the issues I had come up against. <laughs> what, what kind of, what kind of beer was it? I mean, what would you, what was the style? It was a pale ale. And I don't want to, uh, spoiler alert, but it's come a long way. We'll be trying this in just a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> it's now an A-plus product. I'll just... <laughs> that a boy. I'll, I'll, I'll ruin the show right, right at the beginning here. Sully, I, uh, think you've, was, I think you've met an equal as far as like uh, promoting product. 
I feel like uh, Mike and Sully are the same are the same level of any chance they get. This is the superior product right here. This is the best one, and uh, you know, cool. yeah, Mike. What you have to do is start giving out your you address. You got to drop it in. You got to make it yeah, happen. You got to put your address out the five six three second street. <laughs> that's Sully's address. Everybody knows it because that's all he talks about. Um, well, actually, uh, well, well, Mike, you actually, I mean, just zoom out for a little bit. I mean, where is your place? Where, you know, I mentioned Jack London Square, but, you know, we haven't really, there's a, people listening to this all over the world. Where, where are you right now? Yeah, so uh, Oakland, California has this beautiful waterfront district called Jack London Square. We're just outside of the kind of high retail section of Jack London Square in uh, what's referred to as the Jack London Historic Warehouse District. Um, So we are just off of uh, Interstate uh, 980, which is a connector from 24 to 880. Uh, We're in this beautiful building in 1946, I believe it was built in 46. Wow. Uh, An old chicken and poultry processing and distribution building. Um, There's some crazy poultry mojo in here that we had to clean out in the early days <laughs> still but, uh, yeah you know i'm actually really bummed jason i would have loved to have had you down here for the show it would oh. have been great to oh yeah get for sure on camera and i mean you're seeing my my dingy little dungeness office here outside <laughs> in the tap room and brewery. it is beautiful i mean space yeah my son really would nice. row my son rose for berkeley high or rode for berkeley high and they're at the Aquatic Center just around the corner from you. They kicked and them unfortunately, off the when I was driving by every your place all the time, I was like, my God, that building is beautiful. I mean, it's it's not an old chicken building anymore. I mean, you've done <laughs> a lot to it. It's, be- it's quite beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Well, you know, what I like the most about it is walking by on the sidewalk, it's really unassuming. Like, it just yeah. doesn't look like much. But once you get in, it's got this beautiful double barrel truss wood ceiling. Uh, it's and just windows throughout. Yep, a lot of beautiful natural light. It's a really special place. We, we lucked out. When I went to pick up the beer, uh, you know the the space. It's sort of like an open floor plan, I guess. So you have the tap room with a bunch of tables and the big windows and everything, and then the brewery is just right there. You're just looking right at the brewery, which is very cool. It is is very flowy. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a flow to the space. It is a very nice space. So if you're in Oakland, definitely check it out. Yeah, thank you. You know, as as we were building it out, as we were designing it, um, you know, the thought was, you know, what's one, what what's a big reason why people love to go to tap rooms versus just a bar, right? People love to see how the sausage is made, right? They love yeah, to exactly it, they love to hear it, they love to smell it. Um, so to Jason's point, I mean, when you come in here for a beer and a dinner, uh, the brewery is right there, front and center. I mean, you could wad up a napkin and probably hit our lotter time. Uh, <laughs> don't do it, but you well, could. <laughs> we don't encourage. <laughs> I heard on this podcast that Mike said I could do this. Where is he? Bring him out here hey, right now. Hey, Mike, obviously you, you haven't been doing this forever. What did you do to, before you got into this racket? I was in financial services for a little over 20 years. Um, worked at Wells Fargo for about eight years and then, uh, Charles Schwab most recently for another eight or nine years. That's a great background to have into the brewing industry, by the way. I realized my math was right up to about 16 there. So I had another financial services job before Wells. So. <laughs> Needless no, to say, uh, you probably like brewing a little key. bit better. It, it's more fun. You know, <laughs> having a tangible product yeah. at the end of the day, something you can 
sit down and, and share with people, um, it really meant a lot to me. But your and that's great. I mean, that's what that's the passion part of it. But your business acumen has probably served you well in starting up this venture. I, I'd like to think so. I mean, I, I know how numbers work and you know, what should go in the plus column and what should go in the minus column. And um, <laughs> we're still trying to figure some of those numbers out. But <laughs> I know what they should be. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, and then doing the whole thing through COVID probably just threw a big giant wrench into your, yeah, into your plan. In the plan, um, as I was building out my pro forma, I, you know, I had three different scenarios, kind of uh, very conservative, middle of the road. And then, you know, if we really just, knock it out of the park and go gangbusters. But I did not have the, you know, the COVID scenario uh, into any of my projections. You know, like all my colleagues, I mean, Sean, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's been really rough. I mean, Oh yeah, it's been awful. But I just imagine like, you know, Jason mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, there are a lot of breweries open during COVID, but I think we all have to remember that, you, Michael, and you could probably speak to this, have been working on this well before the pandemic started. So it's almost like you have everything like set up and you're ready to go like, okay, here we go. We got the space. We got it locked in. We found it. We got our deposit down. We're paying rent, blah, blah, blah. And then this happened. You're like, ah, crap. And then that's where the brakes go on. So, but you still, you still have to open because you want to, you've got to get income going. So that's exactly right. I mean, we broke ground in April of 19 and yeah. At the time, you know, I didn't even know how to stall code. So <laughs> it certainly wasn't in the, the plan. Yeah. Yeah. What a scary time, man. Uh, but you know what's not scary? I've been drinking your Kolsch. <laughs> I'm, the king, I'm the king of segues, Mike. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. But, he uh, is. He gets an award for it every yeah, year. The cla- I give it to myself. It's cool. <laughs> I've only turned it down once, and that's because I didn't deserve it. Uh, tell me a little bit about your Kolsch, because, you know, as as – we were talking earlier in the show, you know, my experience with gluten-free beers is, or even gluten-reduced beers, is that it just doesn't really taste like beer, but this tastes like beer. It actually tastes like a Kolsch. And and for me, the problem I always had making them, uh, you know, years and years ago, or, you know, drinking them, it's, they can be thin and watery and not have a lot of oomph in the middle, which is what a lot of people complain about, because that's what they miss from the beers. But this has that. Not that a Kolsch is like super like body, you know, heavy, but all beer needs it unless you're doing like a Miller Lite. And even then there's like (laughs) maybe a little bit, right? There's some body there. But this has it for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's our easy drinking uh, golf course beer. Uh, Believe it or not, we get people who come into the tap room who uh, when asked what their favorite style of beer is, they'll tell us they're actually not much of a beer drinker. Uh, So... I recommend the Kolsch. I think it, it's a great kind of gateway beer. It, it's really easy and, and, and light. Um, and we get people who are not beer drinkers, try the Kolsch and they come back for two or three. Um, they love it. It, it clocks in at uh, 5.1% ABV. Uh, we use a combination of millet, rice, and buckwheat in this beer. It looks beautiful. I mean, it's super bright and clear. That yeah. looks wonderful. Good head retention. I'm just commenting on the looks because I don't have any beer here. Um, <laughs> well, if you had um, answered your phone, <laughs> I would have gave it to right. you. Yeah. yeah There's well, always that, isn't there? One here, uh, so we ran it through the, the filter. Um, let's see. We, 
we canned this last Thursday. So this is under a week old. And it, wow. it is delicious. I'm sorry to rub it in, Trump. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, Michael. Anyway, let's yeah. talk about something else. No. <laughs> no, it is it is very good, man. And so so when you're designing these recipes, like uh, you know, you talked about your 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 pale ale, um how long did it take for you to get this Kolsch to where you wanted it? First batch. No. Oh, get out look of town. at this guy swinging the bat around. Yeah. <laughs> really, first well, batch. You nailed it. Yeah, yeah, and that you know seems a little cocky in, until I tell you that I didn't brew it. I I'm smart enough to hire a Cracker Jack head brewer. Okay, all right. Well, see, that makes all the sense in the world then. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, uh, so Cameron Collier is our uh, head brewer. Cameron spent some time at Gordon Biersch, um, little place called Fort Point. And mm-hmm. then uh, most recently kind of jumped around and helped um, Standard Deviant and Pacifica Brewing as well. And when Cameron came on just about a year or so ago, um, we sat down and, you know, I took a full 20, 30 seconds to tell him everything I knew about gluten-free malt. <laughs> and uh, I basically just got out of his way. And, I mean, what he has been able to do is – miraculous i i never dreamed that the quality of this beer could could be where it is today that's exciting wow it's, is your so is your is your equipment in your brewery any different i mean you know how are you loudering with these ingredients uh do you have a mash mash press i mean what's the what's going on there mike yeah so <laughs> no mash press uh we have a separate mash mixer a separate lauder ton and then a combination um, kettle whirlpool uh, 15 barrel system, um, which, you know, is not a coincidence. 15 barrels is what I uh, experienced some uh, success with down at strike brewing. So I wanted to kind of emulate that. Yeah. You know, outside of that, um, the only real customization is our, um, our false bottom, Mm -hmm. you know, water cut. Uh, I don't remember the the size of the slats but it's a little narrower than what you would see in a regular uh barley based uh brew house okay because so how are you how are you loudering are you adding rice hulls are you how are you getting in that i mean i imagine those ingredients can get kind of gummy and uh get gummy for sure especially the buckwheat um we use rice malted rice as one of our uh, our okay uh, with the hulls still intact um rice hulls right there along with fermentable sugar so it's kind of a a twofer yeah that one but you know before in the early days before i um was exposed to rice malt i was using just millet and buckwheat excuse me and yeah i was throwing in quite a bit of rice hulls at the time the malts can get pretty darn uh gummy pretty sticky i can imagine yeah this is a good beer man it's a great entry into gluten-free beers because it, I mean, because if it you tastes sat like down, beer. You know, Jason, you, if you were to try that beer blind, how would you react to it? That's a good question so, because so, I, so I poke I, your eyes out. I am a, tell me what you th- I am a super taster. So, you know, <laughs> I have a very, uh, I have a magnifying glass for a palate, but as you chug that thing down, um, <laughs> what would I say? 
You mean as far as like if I could tell that something was going on, something different? It wasn't. Well, I, I mean, or... look, uh, it's it's not a deposition. You're not being legally bound here, but uh, you are tasting this right now. And you, as you said, you are a super taster, <laughs> and that's that's what I, that's what comes up on my phone when you call me. It's a yeah. super taster, Jason. <laughs> so are you? I mean, I'm just wondering because I'm excited to go down there and try those. But I mean, uh, it's beer. It it it's the this is the closest gluten free beer I've had to beer ever. I'll take it. It I mean, it tastes like that. Sounds exciting. Yeah, it tastes like a beer. You know, I mean, there are differences. I think the flavors are a little bit different, but that's to be expected because that's always been the hard part. That's the barrier to entry in the space. I've always thought is that gluten free beer. It's hard to get it to taste like beer. Even even just the flavors aside, the viscosity, the the mouthfeel, the 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 way that the carbonation sits in the stupid thing. It's hard to do. But, but this, but this, and this has, this hits all those points. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think it's really cool. Uh, Mike, let's take a quick break. I'm going to get a couple other beers and then we're going to come back and we're going to, you know, dive deeper into the beers and and learn a little bit more about uh, gluten-free brewing and the space and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if you give us a sec, we'll take a break. We'll come right back. Everybody hang on. We are on the phone with Mike Bernstein from Buck Wild Brewing. Go to buckwildbrew.com. They're hanging out over in Oakland, California, and we are the session. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewing Network because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. Hey, thanks for sticking around, everybody. We are on with Mike from BuckWildBrew.com, Buck Wild Brewing in Oakland, California. And, of course, Mr. Sean Sully O'Sullivan. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, boys. I'm going to crack this pale ale. Um, and then while I do that, Mike Ron in the chat had a question for you. Uh, he said, if adding too much hops made your beers taste ashy, uh, how did you get around that to make a pale ale? Well, I throttled back significantly on the, the bittering hops I was using. I mean, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it, it was an obscene pound <laughs> of, of magnum bittering hops that I was wow. using. I mean, it was, I mentioned it to the brewer at uh, Strike, and he's like, oh my gosh, you know, you're using like <laughs> 10 times too many bittering hops. Okay. I mean, and I I think the 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 question stems from like you know ashy isn't really, um, or burnt or whatever isn't really a flavor that we associate yeah. with with too many hops. But I wonder if it's just because of the gluten free malt. Well, it was a combination of the over bittering as well as uh, too much roasted grain. Okay. Okay. All right. That clears it up. Yeah. All right. Got it. I figured it couldn't just be the bitterns, but you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, depending on the, I mean, generally Magnum is pretty, pretty neutral when it comes to Yeah, but to if like, it gets up really high, I mean, it's super you could accurate do something. and probably, you know, in concert with the dark malts. I mean, you end up with like this, this a wonderful flavor explosion of uh, ashtray. It was more of like <laughs> a metallic ashtray. Got it. You know, Sean, actually, the, uh, accurate is the perfect descriptor. It, it was just... It's like, yeah, metallic. Yeah, back of your tongue, size of your tongue, just like. Yep, not not remotely passable as beer. So, <laughs> uh, we are drinking. I'm drinking the pale ale now. Mike and I are drinking the pale ale. Hang on a second. I'm having a little water. 
<laughs> well, you know. And your age, you need to hydrate. What, okay, that's the first age joke. Okay. That's <laughs> the first age joke. You're also possibly seeing for the first time our, our rebranding. Uh, all of these labels are new within the last two or three weeks. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, they look great. Really excited about how they turned out. Yeah, nice little lush, uh, you know, rolling hills right there. I like it. Tell me you about hold the, it up again. Tell me about the pale ale, Mike. So pale ale weighs in at five and a half percent, forty-eight um, IBU. It's just you know it's a typical American style pale ale. Um, we're using Chinook, Armorio, and Centennial uh, okay. for the, the hops on that, and again uh, rice malt. Uh, millet and buckwheat as well. You know, Jason, you had mentioned earlier about uh, the body and how you were surprised it wasn't, you know, super thin like you might expect from a, a gluten-free beer. Uh, that's in part the, the role of the buckwheat in the grain bill. Buckwheat's pretty high in protein. Okay. Uh, and one reason we use um, the portion of buckwheat that we use in the grain bill. Okay. And what does the millet do? Millet lends uh, mostly the fermentable sugars. I mean, the rice oh. and the millet combined. Okay. Um, we get different different colors to both the rice and the millet, so we get different flavors and, and colors coming off that as well. Okay, so that's your special. So that and like buckwheat are your specialty malts, like the rice and the buckwheat, but your millet is sort of like your base malt? I would say the, the pale rice and the pale millet. Okay. Both kind of serve uh, mm. in concert as our base malt. Okay. All right. And that's how you sort of maybe get some of those uh, rounder flavors. It's not just one grain. Correct. Yeah. If one's good, two is better. One grain and it's not just, you know, one um, um, color or, or shade mm-hmm. of that grain. We have okay. different types of malts within that. Wow. It's super bright. Yeah. What are you doing for uh, clarification? Uh, just run it through a, a filter. What kind of filter is it? Is it plate and frame? D-E, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. a D filter, nice, Nothing fancy. Okay, what about Where, what's your what's your supplier? I mean, how where are you getting these ingredients from? If you can tell us. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, so the rice we get from Jim Eckert. Uh, he's just outside. Actually, he's in Chico, uh, Chico, California. So fortunately, it's just a day or two away from him. Uh, and then grouse malting just outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, and a town called Wellington. So uh, Twyla at uh, Grouse provides the millet and the buckwheat, and Jim provides the rice. Nice. You don't have to haul it around to coffee roasters anymore. That's good. (laughs) I've gotten so lazy, I'll tell you. I I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, tapping into a supply chain, you know, (laughs) you kick back all day, man. How, how do you handle fermentation? What's fermentation on a gluten-free beer like? Because we're used to these big, churning, bubbling, foamy, you know, messes. Does it produce a lot of a lot of krausen, like a yeah, traditional beer? Not, not as much. Uh, that's probably one thing I would point to as being a little different. Um, and on occasion, fermentation will start off a little bit slower. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we get a good, vigorous, you know, bubbling twenty-four hours into it. Um, I wouldn't imagine it's all that different. To be honest with you, I've never worked in a barley-based brewery, so I don't really have too, too much to compare it to. And you aerate it like you, 
you have you're aerating the word as well and and yeast nutrients and are using a specific yeast strain or that sort of responds to the sugars you're producing no i mean it's nothing special again we're using the the dry yeast that's Mm -hmm. really the only thing to point to on that and you get a normal like fermentation curve like you know you're fermenting it's you know high 60s low 70s or whatever and finishes out like in three or four days or you said it takes a little bit longer or well the whole you mean the whole fermentation cycle well like the primary fermentation how long does it take you to go from like um your original gravity to your final gravity is it a four three or four or five I guess it's also depending upon the beer like the Kolsch for instance like yeah i mean i'll admit i'm that's a great question for my head brewer um i'm not all that close to fermentation side of things these days but, you know, I sure. can tell you, I'm in the tank. It, it's not much different than what you would expect from a, a regular bar. So, okay. So, but, but Mike is one owner to the other. Just make it up. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with uh, four hours. There we go. Four, bingo. Yeah. We've already made four batches. The internet just lit up four hours. How's he doing it? <laughs> yeah, this is, I dig this beer, man. It's super, um, super interesting. Yeah, this is... I mean, this one is near and dear to me, as I mentioned earlier. It's it's the pale ale that we introduced back in early 2016. Um, of course, you know, what we're drinking today doesn't all that closely resemble what I, you know, released in 2016. We've, we've come a long way. but Sure. What, what what beer were you trying to emulate? Like what uh, what was the commercial brewery that you like you fell in love with? And you said, my by golly, I have to make this, but I have to do it gluten free. They shoots brewing mirror pond pale ale. Oh, right on. Okay. okay, that was my favorite beer back when I uh, back when I was drinking regular beer. <laughs> and do you think you made it? Do you, you nail it? I don't want to upset anyone, but I think this is pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it's better. That's fine. You know, I I haven't it's better tasted, for you. <laughs> I haven't tasted it in quite some time, so I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I, that's fair, I, I man. I tell you, this one makes me feel better. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, it it does sort of have like that, you know. And maybe you just made my brain think this, but uh, it does sort of have that those maybe darker pale ale, you know, late nineties, early two thousand sort of vibe to it in the in the in the in the grain bill. So, which I, I think is great. It's pleasant. It 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 leaves behind a pleasant sweetness. The hops are a little more new school, I think. So there is sort of that bright tropical thing that the kids love these days. Yeah, um, so, Amarillo and uh, Chinook is what we've got in that. Those are great hops. And it's a, yeah, it's a good combo. And then, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the, in the way the hops play with your malts, because I, I do think that there is a, a, a flavor difference between, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, but, you know, stop me if I, if you think I am, um, you know, between your grain bill and like a traditional gluten based grain bill, there is a flavor difference, and I think that's the challenge: is 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 getting those two as close as possible. But just like hops play with you know your malt selection, I I think that they they play with with your your gluten free malt selection as well. And I think you did a good job in selecting these hops. They are very complementary mm-hmm. to the flavors that you get in the beer. Yeah, I, I well, thank you first off, but I I would agree entirely. Um, you know, there's always the interplay right between the sweetness of the malt. And what you're going to get out of the, the hops, and um, it's a 
it's a, a fragile dance, right? Yeah. That balance. And uh, I, you know, again, I commend that my head brewer uh, in, in developing this one the way he has. I think it's really well balanced and it's got the bitterness. It's got the sweetness. It's got a lot of those uh, citrusy uh, tropical aromas as well. Really. A What's the, yeah. That's awesome. What's the response been from your customers? Because I mean, there isn't like, there's a lot of people out there that can't drink gluten or eat, eat gluten, consume gluten. Right. I mean, is it like, is it like the, the lights come on when they walk in your place and it's like, Oh, hallelujah. I, there's a place <laughs> where I can finally go. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm actually really pleased to tell you, Sean, that the vast majority of our customers don't know that we're gluten free. They just think they've come into a beautiful space and they're sitting down enjoying a delicious beer. Um, so that's kind that's of one, one end of the spectrum. Uh, on the un- other end of the spectrum are folks who know all too well what we're up to. Uh, and we get a lot of tears. We get a lot of people really? who wow. I haven't had a beer in 10 years. Uh, we have an elderly gentleman. He's, uh, I think, early, early to mid-70s. Uh, he's celiac. I don't think he's had a beer in 40 or 50 years. Um, we actually had the Kolsch in the bright tank, our very first batch of Kolsch. And he wandered in here and I got to talking to him and I asked him what kind of beer he remembers drinking when he was younger. And, you know, he loved Pilsner. Uh, we didn't have a Pilsner at the time, but I brought him into the brew house and right out of the bright tank. I no, and uh, grown man crying. I, wow. He was really yeah, that's, sad. oh my gosh. I mean, that, that experience alone, I mean, being brought back to the, into the brewery and tasting something like that, that's got to be, that's unbelievable. We've done that a few times with people, um, <laughs> even more interesting, people who are unsuspecting, they have no idea. They just think they're coming back into a regular barley-based brewery. And most recently it happened with our hazy IPA with this woman who, was a self-proclaimed, you know, hazy snob. She tried every hazy up and down the coast. <laughs> Same thing, poured her a little uh, sample of our hazy right out of the bright tank. And she said, oh, this is top three hazies I've ever had. And wow. Then I read my whole thing about being gluten-free and she didn't even know what that really meant. Had no idea what millet was. So I had to tell her it's, it's you know, a haircut. Candy. It's, it's bird seed. <laughs> uh, and she was just blown away. Wow. So, um, we get a lot of different responses in the tap room here. That's and wild. It's all it's all wonderful. I I eat it up. It it really just gets me fuels you for yeah. sure. Well, it's you know, and I think it's a little different than just like the standard customer business owner relationship because you can you can empathize with these people. You can sympathize with them. You've been in their position. Yeah, I mean, you know? so here we are in Oakland, right? We we get people who've come all the way up from Monterey out from Stockton, we had a family of, I want to say eight, maybe eight or 10 that came out from, uh, from Reno. Uh, they wanted to spend a day out here centered around visiting Buck Wild because wow. their dad, or their mom, or their grandmother, or their you know, oldest child was celiac. So it's, it's pretty special. Um, and the other thing is, you know, and you know, neither of you are probably aware of this, but you know, you go to a restaurant as someone who has a gluten intolerance, you're looking through a menu and you're reading all of the ingredients. And those that you don't recognize, you're raising your hand and, you know, kind of sheepishly, you know, asking, what is this? Is there gluten in that? Maybe there are three or four or five items on the entire menu. 
that you can yeah. consume. You walk into Buck Wild, all of our food, all of our beer, we have two wines, everything, uh, 100% gluten-free. It's, you know, you're really able to kind of let your guard down, and uh, it's, it's very liberating. It sounds, it sounds exhausting, first of all. <laughs> It really does to like, to like, well, the aspect of like going to a restaurant and being hyper consumed about what's on the menu and just being very, very involved for your own health. I mean, that sounds just like an exhausting prospect, but also it sort of mirrors what we've been all going through in the last year and a half, you know, where we're just, we're very cautious about what's happening and that's been exhausting. And now that, you know, I don't even say most people, but a lot of people are vaccinated you can go places and you can be a little more comfortable. Like you said, let your guard down. Although, you know, don't get me started on that, but it's nice. Yep. It's nice that you have a space where not, it's not just the beer, but like you said, everything that you have, even it sounds like guest taps for wine and such are gluten-free. You don't, you, I, I would imagine that's a big relief off of someone's shoulders to be gluten-free in an area that is catering to to them. Yep. It's very liberating. I mean, I I know people who are uh, celiac or, you know, otherwise so sensitive to gluten, they don't even eat out at restaurants because even if something is marked as gluten-free, there's a risk of cross-contamination and they Mm -hmm. just can't take that risk. Um, So again, to be able to come into a place like this and really not worry about it. That's, that's wild. And thinking about walking into your space, you know, and and I just went right up to the bar to to ask if you were around, and I was looking at the at the at the board there above the taps, and I, I, you're right, I didn't see a single place that said it was gluten free. So if I just walked walked in, go, oh hey, there's a cool spot, let's go grab a, a drink, walk in, look at the board, order a drink, I would never have known, ever. Well, and I like so that. a couple interesting things around that, Jason. Um, first off, you might not have been looking hard enough because it is up there. Right. Uh, but secondly, like m- maybe you shouldn't have had to look that hard. We're, I'll be honest, mm. we're still kind of feeling this out because, um, you know, back when we used to be able to do these things called beer festivals, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> some beer festivals and shouting gluten free, gluten free, gluten free. And, you know, there'd be 30 people in line next to me, right, at the other brewery and five or six people in my line. Uh, I'd go to the next beer festival and I wouldn't yell gluten-free quite as loudly. And, you know, there'd be 30 people next to me and 25 people in my line. And I'd have them taste the beer first, get their reaction to it. And then I would talk to them about what it is and more importantly, what it isn't. Um, So again, we're still trying to feel that out, but we're really trying to lead with flavor. You know, flavors first and foremost. It's just a quality craft beer that happens to be gluten free. Yeah, that would be tough because you know, again, we've we've already talked about the gluten free market and, and beer and whatever. But you know, how do you advertise? But also, I don't want to say there's a stigma with gluten free beer because I, I don't think that's the right word. Um, but it would take a. I think there. A, a I think there is. I mean, I think there's like a pre. There's a preconceived idea of what it is because of what yeah. we've seen right. in the past. You know. And I think, uh, you know, I think what Michael said about, you know, we lead with taste. I mean, that's, that's how you're going to win people over. Um, yeah. And- so, but, but then, but how, but to his point, how hard do you market that they're gluten-free, especially well, in your own tap room? 
Yeah, I mean, I fortunately for us, our core market, the, the gluten-free market, is a very uh, educated consumer base. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very brand loyal, and they're very, um, uh, I'm at a loss for word, the right word here, but word of mouth. Uh, I would imagine they're a community the, that the talks community, to one yeah. another. Yeah, yeah, that's very tight, yeah. I'd imagine, yeah. And, you know, the, these are the group of people, much like myself, when they go to a grocery store, they're they're the ones flipping the, you know, box of crackers around and they're reading every single ingredient. So they're very aware, mm-hmm. uh, very informed, very educated. So, you know, it's not that we're neglecting that market segment by not screaming gluten-free, but sure. we are just trusting that they will continue to do what they always do and you know, educate themselves and self-advocate for themselves and be loyal to the brands that work for them. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and again, I have, I have a, a very bad habit of like choosing words that I think might be borderline insulting. And that's not what I mean, but it is sort of like a passive marketing or a passive thing where you let, you leave it up to them to, 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 for the most part, to figure it out, to learn about it. But you are here, you exist, you have the product you don't need to put it on a neon sign and have it flashing 24 seven above your spot. And I, I, I don't know. I think that's a good space to be in because like you're saying, you are getting people in who don't know. And that's, I think of the hard market, you know, that's, that's the tough part is to, to teach people gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. It means flavor. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. You're, you're hired Jason. Hey, yeah. yeah. Woo. I don't know. I'm Whatever. just trying to think of any other like products and any other, you know, in the consumer space that where they, I think it's like organic wines in some ways. I think there are, there are, there are producers of, of organic wines that actually sometimes downplay the organic aspect of it because it can be a stigma. Mm. Um, but, you know, they just, want to adhere to these practices when they're making their wine. And so it's, it's not, it's whispered and not yelled. And I think that's what, it sounds like what mm-hmm. Michael's doing at Buck wild. Um, and, it, and, and also that the celiac, the, the gluten-free community is so tight. I know that from my, my two uncles and their families back there that have celiacs that um, they, they are hyper aware of what's out there. They know what to buy. They know what not to buy. They know where to eat. It's like, mm-hmm. it's it, like, a. It, it must also be hard to trust new brands too, at the same time. Like it, it, that's what I mean. It seems like a very exhausting thing to have to go through. Well, I mean, we, we, as, like a, as a company right? at the 21st amendment at five, six, three second street, <laughs> we, and also San Leandro, yeah. we, 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 we often get inquiries about like, you know, is there gluten in, in this beer or, or that beer also, is it vegan? That's another popular vegan, thing. Yeah, man. Um, so you're, we're, you know, you were being asked those questions because the consumer in general, I think at large, especially folks who enjoy craft beer, they are curious and they want to know what they, what's, what's going on. They want to know what, you know, the calorie count is, what the carbs are, all that stuff. So I think yeah. this is, you know, what Michael's doing at Buck Wild is sort of a, it's just a big extension of what's happening in the craft beer and greater food space. We want to know what's in this stuff. That's exactly. right. I think there's just a much more <clears throat> self-awareness and focus on what people are putting in their bodies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. Um, speaking of that, I just cracked the amber. <laughs> That's a good segue, by the way. Thanks, man. I'm the king of segues. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Uh, so 
so far, this is my favorite beer that I have had from you. It tastes the most like an amber ale. And I love an amber ale. I really do. Actually, yeah. it's it's almost, if I had to pick a nit, it's almost more like a brown ale. Because there's a little bit of roasty, um, and there's a lot of now sweetness there. But it is, it is by far the beer that tastes most like a beer that I've had so far. And I've liked yeah. the other ones. So for me, this is like, I tasted it. I was like, wow, this is, this is what I'm, this is the thing. This is the so, thing. This, this Amber Ale, it, it's a very special beer. It's, uh, it's very malt forward, which yeah. you probably don't hear many people in the gluten-free space saying, hey, no, <laughs> malt forward craft beer. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, things have improved greatly in the gluten-free brewing space. Mm. In the early days, there was a real concerted effort to try to mask the grain bill or the lack thereof by really overemphasizing the hops, right? So a lot of IPAs, okay. a lot of ale ales. But when we did this amber, we really wanted to showcase what gluten-free malt could be. Uh, and I think, again, I'm biased here, but I, I think <laughs> this amber does exactly that. I mean, yeah. just the color alone. It, yeah, the color looks amazing. Here. And, you know, all these, you know, mahogany hues and you get a lot of caramel out of it. Um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't expect this to be a gluten-free grain bill. No, absolutely not. And, you know, it's almost, it's almost, uh, well, you could, you could call this an American brown ale and you can get away with it because it has that sweetness. It, there is roasty there too. Um, for, for an amber ale, maybe it's on the higher side of those things. But they're still very good. I think this rides the line right perfectly in between like an amber and a, and a, and a malty brown ale. Hmm. It's a good beer. I mean, by definition, this is a very drinkable, highly enjoyable beer. We have a uh, we have a couple who come in every week. It's their beer. It's all they drink. Um, they go around to all the neighboring breweries, and all they drink are amber ales, and they. Both growlers of it, they absolutely adore this. I was, I'm thinking, like, they must not go to Wait, many they, they Amber Ale couple. <laughs> That's all they drink is they go to they seek out Amber Ales. But like, the name is Amber. Oh, geez. I mean, um, I mean how many breweries do you think they go to? Like, you know, two. I mean, who may? <laughs> there's, there's not that many out there. No, well, maybe they, it's funny. Maybe it's a red, you know. Or, yeah. God, yeah. I, I miss red ales. Can I just can I just say that real fast? I miss. A nice American red ale. I really We have do. one coming out soon, by the way. Do you? Yeah. Do you, Sean? What's the address? <laughs> Come on. Damn, I, Mike. I, I can't say more. What's your address? You should get into this racket. What's your address? You really should. Michael. 401 Jackson Street. 401 Jackson Street. Jackson Street. Just blocks from the retail area of Jack London Square in Oakland. That's right. Folks might be familiar with uh, Original Pattern. Yep. yep. Uh, some friends of ours are just a block and a half away. Uh, Oakland United is in the neighborhood. Federation is in the neighborhood. Line 51 is just a mile or so out. Um, Ghost Town Brewing as well. Is oh, wow. A half away. We've got a, we've got a great community of craft breweries here. It's, it's really yes, it's a fun awesome. spot. And you come down on a sunny Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and they're just bikes and skateboards and dogs and children littered all over the sidewalk. It's, it's a fun scene. 
Nice. Yeah, I, why did you pick Oakland? Oakland kind of picked me, um, <laughs> to be honest. I, so when I brewed those first couple batches at, at Strike Brewing in San Jose, it was more of a proof of concept at the time I had come up with maybe five or six things I wanted to, you know, boxes that I kind of wanted to check to see if this, you know, crazy idea had any legs. Yeah. And, um, after, you know, getting the beer into the market, um, I was really surprised by the, the reception. And basically, uh, I was able to check all of those boxes and I would say the proof of concept was a success. And at that time I set out to try to find a home for Buck Wild, um, even though we took all the precautions possible at Strike Brewing, the fact remained that it was a barley-based um, brewery. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very difficult conversation to have with people that claim to be 100% gluten-free when you're brewing it on shared equipment. Um, again, we did everything we could. You know, We totally bypassed the whole milling area. All of our malt arrived pre-milled. <clears throat> cleaned all the lines, all the tanks, so on and so forth. But it wasn't really until we could get in our own facility that we could feel totally 100% comfortable. So we started looking for space. Um, You know, for those of you who are not familiar with the geography of the Bay Area, this won't make all that much sense. But, you know, we looked in Martinez, in Benicia, Emeryville, Berkeley, Oakland, Marin. I think... It was a two-year process Wow! to find a wow. place. Um, and then, you know, when I was looking in kind of the five to 5,000 to 7,500 square foot range, and we were just striking out place after place. And um, then we saw this place, which was quite a bit bigger than what we were looking for at the time. Uh, but, you know, we decided to stretch a little bit and get into this larger space and we we've had a fair amount of luck throughout this process, believe it or not. I know we've talked a lot about the trials, tribulations, heartache, blood, sweat, <laughs> yeah. but, but finding, finding this place was an absolute, um, you know, strike of, of luck. Um, it's in a beautiful building. It's in a wonderful neighborhood. All of these old warehouses are being converted into these five, six, seven, eight story, uh, apartment buildings. We have a we have an apartment building across Jackson Street from us, 330 units. Wow. It's yep. months old. I wow. mean, it, it just, and at last check, it was 90% filled. Good uh, Lord. There's just more development going on, um, you know, not to get into any political realm here, but a lot of people are leaving San Francisco for nicer weather, more space, you know, affordability, what, what have you. Yeah. Uh, it's landing a lot of people in Oakland. Um, and the, this waterfront district of Oakland is pretty, it's unbeatable. really blowing up and it's not done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's hey, a great spot. And I mean, I think Oakland is a good match because of like Sean was saying earlier, you know, I, I think gluten-free ties in with the food. Oakland is a big food area, a lot of restaurants, a lot of people care about what is in their product and they will go out of their way to support people who have the stuff in the food that they want. Right. But I imagine there's a lot of people who are sensitive to gluten, sensitive to things that go in their food that, you know, they can't afford just to take it 
that, you know, well, just, you know, I can eat wherever, right? A little more picky, a little more choosy. I feel like yeah. Oakland is a good spot for that because it, it does feel like, it does feel right, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's a good point, Jason. And I tell people, you know, if you if you laid a map of the United States out in front of me and said, you know, point to where you want to launch your gluten-free brewery, <laughs> <laughs> I put a finger on Austin, yep. Portland, yeah. Boulder, Colorado, and Berkeley, Oakland, California. For sure. We are fantastic market here. Yeah. Again, chalk it up to luck. I, I think we've been very fortunate. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned uh, your food program, but you haven't really talked too much about that. What's what's going on there? Yeah. So uh, one of the uh, best decisions I made was um, basically not to operate my own kitchen. I wanted to focus on the brewery and the customer experience. So we connected with a restaurant that's based in San Francisco. Uh, their name is Catawba, K-I-T-A-V-A. And uh, they've been in the Mission District of San Francisco for, I guess, about three or four years now. Uh, they are free of gluten, um, sugars, corn, um, peanuts, uh, I'm sure, oh, dairy. And I think I'm missing a couple others. Wow. So the, the synergies are just mind-blowing. Uh, they got wind of what we were doing out here with Buck Wild. And they approached us, and uh, it's just—it's been an absolute wonderful partnership. Um, you know, again, you can come in here and get 100% gluten-free food, 100% gluten-free beer. Uh, you know, things like fish and chips. If you read our Yelp reviews, you, you, you read <laughs> things like, "I haven't had fish and chips in 15 years." Wow. Um, so it, it's really—it's a, a really good partnership. It's—it's it's working out quite well. That's crazy. That's exciting. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Uh, let's take one last break. We're going to go get the last beer we have, which is the Hazy IPA. And uh, we'll try that and we'll wrap things up. Great. All right. All right, boys. Hang on, everybody. We'll be right back. It's the session. Segmented. Demented. Fermented. Fermented. It's the session. All right, thanks for hanging around, everybody. We are wrapping things up here with Mike from Buck Wild in Oakland, California, and, of course, the great Sean O'Sullivan. I'm about to rip the Hazy IPA. First of all, I like the can art. I mean, I like the colors. I mean, the can art is, you know, it's it's the, the same shape, but the, the colors on the Hazy can are cool. I like them. It's like... Um, really happy with how this turned out. It's sort of... Uh, befitting of a of a hazy ipa i don't know what maybe it's like that matte colored you know pink i guess but i don't know i just it it sort of reads hazy to me i like it yeah and this new uh rebranding that we did i mean these these cans look so great on the shelf side by side i mean they just really pop it's it's wonderful really happy with it all right so talk to me a bit about a hazy ipa how do you get a, a gluten-free beer to uh, display as hazy. I mean, I would imagine even just with, with, you know, quote unquote normal grains with gluten, it's hard to do, but is it, is it more challenging when, when you remove the gluten out of there? I mean, again, it's going to be the proteins you find in the buckwheat that uh, lend mostly to the haze. Mm, okay. You know, if you're a, a, a craft brewer, I think you have to have a hazy IPA, right? Yeah. Have <laughs> or at least five. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is uh and it's very uh hazy. It's not the the gravy that uh that I see on Instagram all the time, which is good. Mm. Um you know, this is uh just a it's a see it in the glass, you go, oh, that's a hazy beer for sure. So this is uh Enigma, Citra, and uh cashmere hops. Cashmere. Yeah, this is there's a very uh exotic smell in the aroma <laughs> that uh, you know, I smell Look through this job. I, I smell a lot of hazy IPAs, and uh, but it's it's sometimes it's that weird, just exotic thing that makes it stand out. And it does have that sort of you know juicy, uh, you know soft pillowy aroma with that tropical thing coming through. But that I, I imagining it's that cashmere coming through in the nose that just lends a different <clears throat> sharpness or a different clarity to to the aroma. It's a good choice. It smells great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, as one might suspect, this is our most popular beer in the tap room. This and, and the Kolsch, and we have a uh, coffee stout on tap right now that we did in collaboration with our friends at uh, Bicycle Coffee just down the street. Um, so those, those few beers move very well in our tap room. And you're serving it on nitro. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, just you're serving this beer on nitro. Uh, the no, co- the coffee nitro. Oh, okay, <laughs> I was like, wow, like, that would could be. Could you please uh, keep up? <clears throat> I can't. I'm stuck on this beer. It tastes <laughs> like this tastes like by hazy IP. I would never know. I would never know. Well, that's that's the ultimate compliment. So absolutely never know. Again, if I'm if I'm picking a nit here, maybe it, it feels a little too sweet. Maybe I would love to see it a touch drier, mm-hmm. but you you would never. I mean, you would just you would never ever ever fucking know that this was not just like an all malt beer. Hmm. And, and I, Jason it, means it because he dropped the f bomb. That's true. I don't ever swear unless I fucking mean it. <laughs> no, and and you know it's it's interesting. Like you know the the amber you know was my favorite, and I'm not going to say the hazy IPA is my favorite. However, I will say it is the most of all the beers we've had tonight. It's the most beer like, and and is that offensive when I say it's the most beer like because it sort of puts down on one hand like these aren't real beers because there's not gluten, and I know you know what I mean, but. Yeah, I mean, How it, should we be talking about that? Going for, so no, I'm not offended. Okay. Okay. Good. I just I want to make sure because you know uh, I can sometimes I can just be talking and everyone's like shifting uncomfortably. Well, going. I think it's not beer like. I think you're using ingredients like you would you know when you make beer, you use a lot of different ingredients. You know, all over the map. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's rice, sometimes it's oats, sometimes it's millet, sometimes it's you know buckwheat, whatever. I mean, you're just trying to get to the end. It's all like they're all grown in the ground. They sprout and you do something with them. I mean, yeah. I think when you say beer like, it's almost like you're uh, you're you're playing the comparison game. I think what right. I'm hearing because is that we you're tasting something that you're in your brain. You're going, I'm not supposed to like this, and you're going, I'm liking <laughs> this. And at the same time, you're 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 realizing that wow, it's not it's not what I would expect, and it's not being made the way I would expect. So, yeah, I think you need to get over yourself. It's like it's like driving an EV versus an internal combustion engine. Car. Well, those are completely different. Slow down. Right, because like they're both cars, but if if the EV drives like a gas car, it, it, I don't know. It, that's that was a very weak analogy, but it uh, was. But keep going. Um, but you know, it, it kind of gets back to what Sean was saying earlier about the preconceived notion, right? The negative 
connotation that some folks can have around gluten-free beers. I mean, yeah. you know, if you work, if you walked into 21st amendment and Sean poured you this beer, I would be insulted would... first of all, cause it, it would be a hazy beer, but uh, yeah, it, it exactly. And this is, this is, this is sort of where I'm going, right? It's I'm comparing it. Like you guys are saying, I'm comparing it to what I know, which is, which is all malt. Well, yeah, I can't even gluten beers, I guess. Right. And so I'm trying to figure out the language of, now how to talk about it because it's no longer, well, here's an experiment. It's not really beer, you know, whatever, but all of these taste like real beer, quote unquote. (laughs) So therefore I sort of have to adjust my language now to go, well, these are just gluten-free beers. It's not taste like a real beer because it downplays what you're doing here. Yeah, it's well, like your expectation isn't what isn't that high, and then it's gone above that. I also think right. it's like early days of this in some ways. And Michael, you could probably speak to this: is that I, I don't know the craft beer industry for gluten free beers is very small. It's like you know, it's like when we start putting beer in cans back in two thousand six, we talked more about the cans than the beer inside. People were like, my God, I, it's, this is so weird. It's a six eight percent alcohol beer with hops and all this. It's blowing my mind. And they just couldn't get over it. And then now cans are everywhere. It's just, I think that, you know, eventually this is just sort of the beginning. This is like uh, the industry is a little bit in uh, this segment is a little bit like a toddler. It's just starting to walk and, you know, people getting used to it. Yeah. And eventually it's just going to be like your daughter running around all over the place and you can't keep up. And <laughs> it, it's, it's just ubiquitous. It's certainly early days in gluten-free craft. Yeah. Without question. And it's, <clears throat> it's come a long way. I mean, it's, come a long way since I was tinkering in my garage in, you know, 2007 with sorghum honey and agave and maltodextrin and, you know, all that other crap. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're honestly, we're just scratching the surface of, of what, yeah. can do, what can be done with gluten-free beer. So it's a very exciting time to be in this space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I'd like to think we're at the forefront of, uh, you know, when it comes to quality in gluten-free craft beer and, you know, as I've mentioned, you know, here at 401 Jackson Street, we are... Uh, <laughs> Atta boy! Yeah, I'm, Got I'm, it. I'm a quick study. Yep. Uh, you know, we're the first and only in California doing what we're doing here. Um, so it's a, it's a great opportunity for us. And, you know, we, we take it very seriously and uh, we're working really hard. It's, I mean, it, this is a, a drinkable hazy IPA. It's not aspirin It's not burny. It's not cloying. It's not any of those things, and it's uh, it's. I could drink this. Well, I, I know where you can get some more. <laughs> <laughs> what what is what's next for gluten free beer? Are you going to do like a barrel program or a sour program or any sort of you know yeah, more traditional so, things? We had a guava goes uh, guava rosemary gosa. Oh, that sounds uh, delicious. For about two and a half weeks. Damn. It just blew up. That I sounds mean, that sounds amazing, dude. And I feel like that like Oakland's a perfect space for that. That that sounds like some like pop up, you know, um handmade tart, you know, food truck thing. Right. It sounds like very like Yeah. I don't know, artisanal or I, I don't know why I don't know where I'm trying to go with that, but it sounds very Oakland. It really I does. And I mean that in a good way. I had never had a gosa before. Um, when I stopped drinking, uh, 
I almost said normal. I didn't do it. Uh, barley based beers <laughs> back in, you know, 2006, 07. They didn't uh, exist. I never had a, a sour. Um, so this was my first Gosa and it blew me away. I mean, we had Himalayan yeah. sea salt in there. I'll tell you, I'll tell you though, it, uh, it's a very polarizing style of beer. Mm-hmm. People either try it and they're wondering why this beer tastes salty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they're turned off. Or there are other people who absolutely just fanboyed all over, you know, crushed it. We had people who would come day after day filling up growler after growler, unlike anything I'd seen with any of our beers to date. So you're going to do um, it again? We have a tart cherry dosa going right now. Okay. All right. So very well received. Yeah, and I mean, I think it could work with <clears throat> with the sort of like mouth feel because these the you know gosas aren't very heavy. I think it's the perfect um, Style, platform. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Guava we, rosemary is that what you said? Uh, it, it was a guava rosemary. Guava rose. That sounds damn. That sounds good. And we're gonna do a tart cherry hibiscus. It's actually in the fermenter right now. That sounds great. Uh, uh, Ron in the chat is saying, number one, he likes your your label design and the, the gluten-free um, portion of the label. I'll hold it to the camera. It just says a little, you know, GF down there in the, in the bottom. Uh, he said it's like the independent craft label on the beer, and if you're looking for it, it's noticeable, but it doesn't stand out. It's not. It's, it's very subtle. So what was that gentleman's name? Ron. So Ron just hit it right on the head. I mean, our, our whole marketing approach to how we handle gluten-free. We're not hiding it. It's, mm-hmm. it's there. It's very much front and center. Um, but we're not screaming it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more uh, about Buck Wild and about hazy and, you know, flavor first. Yeah. And then he says there's a, you know, there's a, a brewery. He can't remember the name, but they do a lot with watermelon and maybe like a watermelon buckwheat collaboration would be good. I don't know. That's what he says. I'm game. That sounds like fun. <laughs> sounds refreshing, man. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Mike, uh, thanks a lot, man, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, the beers are great. I'm, I was very excited to talk to you about this. So, Sully, thanks for facilitating, for doing your, your Sully magic, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, it, it is a very exciting time to be in this space. And, uh, you know, just when you thought like craft beer didn't really have anywhere to go, unless we just put more lactose in different beers. Uh, this is a nice reminder about there's, there's really no boundaries that we can, you know, we can do in, in this, in this industry. This is, it's, this is great. Like, well, if, if anybody's like me, you sort of wrote off gluten-free beers. But if you are like me, I highly suggest going to Buck Wild, come out to Oakland, check it out because it will definitely change your mind on, on what a gluten-free beer can be. Well, that's a great plug, Jason. We appreciate yeah. it. And, You're welcome. you know, our tagline is craft beer for all. That's that's what we're aiming to be. You can definitely do that, man. If you have if you have a friend who's gluten free and you're not, this is a place where you can go and get a beer and you won't notice the difference. Truly. And you might even enjoy it. You might even enjoy it. You never know. <laughs> Who can really tell? Anyway, uh, Mike, where can people go to learn more about your beers and your brewery and all that kind of good stuff? They can come to 401 Jackson Street in Oakland, California, 94607. That's right. Um, you know, all joking aside, come on down to the brewery. This is the best place. We love questions. We love talking about what we're doing down here. Um, 
love to welcome you into the space. Yeah. Um, of course, we have a presence on the World Wide Web, buckwildbrew.com. A lot of information there as well. All right. You got it. All right, Sully, thanks again, as always, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was, I mean, honestly, this is great. I mean, we talk a lot. We have guests on the show, and they're great. But this has been an amazing show. Yeah, it's been because a lot of fun. It's like, it's like it just kind of takes your mind here and just opens it up a little bit. So, yeah. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you both. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone on Facebook, thanks a lot for tuning in. I appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening live and if you want to join in the fun, just follow our social media accounts. At, uh, I'm sure the Brewing Network and variations thereof across Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And you'll know just when we go live and when we post these shows. So you can be like Ron and ask three questions. And I think that was uh, really good. So thanks, <laughs> thanks to Ron questions. and everybody listening. Uh, anyway, everybody, thanks a lot for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Justin's on my sky and winning the race. JP does great as his charity case.